church. Good morning. It's good to have you all here this morning. And for anyone who's logging in for the first time, um, welcome. Welcome this morning. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we've been having a really good time these last three weeks. Uh, Pastor Steve's been taking us through Romans chapter 8, and it has been so good. Uh, my wife and I have really gotten a lot out of it, um, and I can't wait for the next three weeks uh, because we're only halfway through the series. Uh, but today we're going to have an interlude, and I'm just going to share some things about what God's uh, put on my heart these last couple of months and, and some things he's been speaking to me about the last couple of weeks as well. And uh, so we're not going to touch Romans chapter 8 today. We're going to go to a completely different place in the Bible uh, just for this week. So if you could turn with me to Romans chapter 6, that would be really, really good. Okay. Um, and we're going to talk about a topic today uh, that Romans chapter 6 doesn't mention even once but it has a really strong theme. And we are going to read through the whole chapter today, so strap into your seatbelts. It's, it's going to be a fun ride. Uh, and that word is repentance. So I want to talk today about why is repentance important? Why does it matter? Uh, and how do we do it effectively? Because if you're anything like me, uh, you know, you have, at least in some point in your Christian life, uh, you've... You've repented of something, you've, you've said sorry, you've got on your knees, you've prayed, and you've had an amazing encounter with God, and then you've gone and done it again. And you've gone and done it again, and again, and again, and, and you're like, why? God, did I not repent? Did I not let go of this? You know, I, 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 I felt you, that was so real, like I, I felt it leave me, or, you know... That stuff starts to go through our head and we start to question, oh, am, am I a liar? Like, does my word mean anything to you, God? Um, and and you, sometimes we can spiral down in, in condemnation or, or whatever sort of questions and sometimes we can doubt the word or we can doubt God or we can doubt our experience with God. So how do we repent effectively? So I want to ask us four questions and I want us to go through each of them. So the first question I want to ask is, what is repentance? You know, let's just lay a foundation first so that we can all be on the same page. What is repentance? So let's start reading from Romans chapter 6 and we'll read the first four verses to start off with. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When I think of repentance, I, th I tend to think of a three-step process. And the first one I want to talk about, the first step in that process of what is repentance, is conviction. A realization of right and wrong and a desire to do the right thing. Um, and we can actually see it from, I think, verse 2 in there. Let's just uh, read that out for a second. 
you know, or it starts in verse 1. Are we to continue in, gra- in, in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That sounds like a pretty convicting statement to me. You know, Paul's really set his heart in the right direction. Um, before we go any further, let's just talk about the word repent for a second. Uh, repent in, in the Bible, in the, in the Greek, is, or, or repentance is metanoia. And metanoia means to reconsider and think differently. Especially in a moral sense, and it, it comes from this feeling of, of remorse or regret. You know, where you've seen something wrong and you want to make the situation right. That's what repentance means in a biblical context. So in short, to change one's mind. That's what it is. So the first step in repentance is conviction. And that's not our job. Conviction is not our job. You know, God's given us a conscience where we can recognize the difference between right and wrong. And we can choose to do the right thing, but... I mean, how many times have we ever done the wrong thing knowing it's the wrong thing and we haven't really been very sorry about it? Conviction is the Holy Spirit's job. Let's go to John chapter 16 for a moment. We'll read verses 7 to 11. Nevertheless, this is Jesus talking at the Last Supper, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away... The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit was poured out on the earth when Jesus rose from the dead and, and, and I guess, sent him out, sent, sent out the Holy Spirit to seal our salvation in Christ, but also to help us in this life. So he convicts us of the reality of sin and the truth of righteousness and the, and the viability that we can follow righteousness because the plan of the devil has been destroyed. What's the plan of the devil? Condemnation. Okay, so that's the first step to repentance, conviction, which is the Holy Spirit's job. The next step to repentance is where we come in. That's called confession. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an amazing promise, church. Why should it be spoken? Why should it be confessed out loud? You know, why not just deal with it inside ourselves? Well, the reason is it's not being hidden anymore when you speak it out. You know, conviction can sit in your heart till the cows come home. But that's not dealing with the sin, is it? But when you confess it, you're owning up to it. That's the first step to taking responsibility for your sin and bringing it before God. When it's out, it's no longer hidden. Okay. 
When we do that, so when we confess, our heart uh, does something. It repositions itself so that it's more able to do the right thing. And I say that it's more able, I don't say that it's more determined because we can be determined to do the right thing and still constantly do the wrong thing. So I'm choosing my words very carefully here. We're more able to do the right thing because our heart has repositioned itself. We'll get to that more in a little bit. So we, repentance is uh, conviction, it's confession, and then the third point is change. There's a change of action. There's a change in our lifestyle um, in, in, when it comes to repentance. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 8 says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's John the Baptist's uh, command to people, you know, after they've made a decision to follow God, to stick with that decision and to not go back to the way they were living before. Okay, so when we realize the difference between right and wrong, and we've confessed that to God, and we've repositioned our heart, we're then able to do the right thing. Why? Because we're stepping into God's grace. That's where we're positioning ourselves. We're, we're going from our own strength and our own ability, our own, our own flesh, our own trying to measure up to God. We're moving away from that stance and we're positioning ourselves where we belong in God's grace. And he empowers us with that grace to live right and that's when it becomes natural to us to do the right thing. Okay, so that's, that's repentance in a nutshell. It's conviction, it's confession, and it's change. So now that we've been through that question, let's ask the next question, now that we've got that sort of foundation in place. Is repentance necessary for salvation? Some of you have already just answered out loud in front of your families to the TV or whatever device you're looking on right now. And that's, that's really good. I'm really glad that you know the answer. Uh, but I really want to get into this one uh, because it's, it's good to know, but it's best to know why we know. And some of you already know why you know, but uh, let's, let's really delve into a bit of scripture and, and, and get a truth uh, for this. Um, because... I want to be certain about this one because not being absolutely sure about the answer can really cripple us in our faith. And also, if we're thinking about sharing Jesus with other people that don't know him yet, if we're not sure about that answer, it can cripple their faith. The amount of times I've preached a half gospel just to win someone into the kingdom of heaven is pretty bad and it ended up crippling their faith and six months later they ended up walking away from God. I don't want to do that. And you don't want to do that either. So let's nip this one in the bud. Hallelujah. It, it doesn't always appear to specifically state in the Bible if repentance is needed for salvation. So let's take a closer investigation. It generally uses one of two terms. One is repent. The other term that it tends to use is believe. So there are different verses in the Bible that say different things. For example, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. just uses the one term. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Repent and believe. 
in the gospel. You know, so it uses both there. It gives, I guess you could say, a fuller picture. Uh, but there are many other places in the New Testament where it just says believe and it doesn't really seem to say anything about repentance. The most famous one I can think of, which is one I tend to use quite a lot if I'm, if I'm sharing Jesus with someone, is Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10. Very famous verse. Let's, let's turn there. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So question, can you confess Christ without repentance? Before I fully answer that question, I will say that if you do that, you put yourself in a dangerous position. So if you aren't willing to let go of the nature that Jesus died to set you free from, how are you going to take on another nature that doesn't want to mix with it? You can only have one nature at one time. You can't have both. We know what happens to the lukewarm church in the book of Revelation. Okay. Uh, Luke chapter 16 verse, what is it, 13, says, uh, no servant can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or mammon was the word used, but you can substitute that word for anything. You cannot serve both God and idols. Insert whatever idol you want. You cannot serve both God and sin. It doesn't work. It's either one or the other. We don't dip our toe into faith. We jump all in. Hallelujah. Okay. So, your spirit within you cannot be reborn into the image of Christ unless the spirit that is tied to sin dies first. So, Romans 10. Why does it say believe and not repent? Believing in what Jesus did also means believing in what implications that has for your life. If, if Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection didn't have any implications for you, there'd actually be no point believing in it. I can believe anything I want in this world, but if it's got nothing to do with me, it's not going to change my life. Belief in the biblical context means something very different to the way we tend to understand it these days. We the way we tend to think of the word believe is, is, is uh, understanding something to be true. But it doesn't necessarily mean we have to do anything about it. But in the biblical context, belief means understanding it to be true and responding to it, which means belief has life application. And when we look at that verse, what's the application? Believing it in your heart, recognizing the wrong from the right, and confessing it. Well... Belief in this context is meaning the same thing as repentance. And everywhere I look in the New Testament, the word belief and the word repentance are used interchangeably. They, they really mean the same thing because you're doing the same thing. So it doesn't matter what word it uses, repentance is still important. So is repentance necessary for salvation? Absolutely. Okay, let's go to the third question. 
Now that we've been through what is repentance, to set a foundation, we've gone through, is repentance necessary for salvation? The third question is, is repentance necessary for sanctification? What's sanctification? When something is sanctified, it means it's purified. So my spirit has already been made holy and righteous in the image of Jesus Christ, free from sin, but my mind is not used to thinking holy thoughts yet. My body still might have problems with, with sickness or other ailments. To be sanctified means uh, to be, there's a process of cleaning going on. So the, our spirit where Jesus resides begins to influence our mind and change the, changes the way it thinks from self-destructive thinking, from selfish thinking, from unclean thinking to holy and set apart you know, productive style of thinking, turning us to think and act like God. That's what, that's what mind renewal is. It means to change in the right direction. It, it, it's the same thing. And the, the purpose of it is that we would be sanctified or that we would be purified in the way we think and in the way we live. So is repentance necessary for that? Is you know, if I've already repented and when I gave my life to Jesus and I, 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 I declared that I, I, I no longer wanted to be part of sin anymore, is it still relevant that I maintain an attitude of repentance after I'm saved? <laughs> now we're getting into the nitty-gritties, church. And now I'm going to continue through Romans chapter 6. So let's go. And we'll pick up at verse 5 where we left off. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, that's our old sinful nature, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Everybody say nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free, everybody say free, from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Hallelujah. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, everybody say, so I also. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What's the number one thing that gets in the way of us effectively repenting? I'll tell you what it is. It's this statement and the thinking behind it. Well, you're always going to sin, Jamie, because you're human. Think about that statement for a moment. We've all said it. I've said it. I grew up most of my life thinking it. Well, I'm always going to ultimately get it wrong because I'm human. Close your eyes for a moment and think about that statement. You're always going to sin because you're human. We can understand the reasoning in that statement, can't we? It sounds reasonable. 
It sounds logical. But does it sound like the gospel? No, it doesn't. You're always going to sin. Where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't actually say it. So why do we say it? And why do we think that living righteously is such an impossible task? Let's just get one thing straight. You're either free or you're not. Jesus did not do half a job in setting you free. He didn't bring you halfway across the bridge and then say, well, you know what, I've set your spirit free and you know, the way you change is going to kind of think, but as long as you're in that physical body that you've got, you're actually always going to make mistakes and sin. And so you know, I'm just going to put up with that for the time being until you physically die and you're going to get your new body. Jesus never said that. And this passage doesn't say that. The scripture says, He whom the Son sets free, say it with me, is free indeed. Amen. Amen. Let's look back at verse 6 for a moment. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to what? Nothing. That means that our body and the, the things it feels doesn't control us anymore. This goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, right before Cain was about to murder his brother. God said, sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. It goes all the way through the Bible, and the message has not changed all the way to Romans 6 and beyond, and its application for our lives. It hasn't changed. It's the same message. Okay. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then get verse 7. For one who has died has been set, what? Free from sin. Paul's being pretty obvious with his language here. He's not holding anything back. Then we go down to verse 11. Here's the mindset that we have. Here's the conclusion that we have in light of the gospel. So you also must... Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If I'm going to say then that I'm always going to sin because I'm in this body, then I'm not considering myself dead to sin. I'm not considering myself alive to God in Christ Jesus, at least not completely. I'm saying that Jesus did half a job. I'm counting my own merit and my own strength instead of Jesus' victory in my life. Come on. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. You know, you can be... Yeah, my thinking for a long time was that even though Jesus has set me free, I'm still a sinner, you know, because I would look at the things I did. You know, but, and, and so because I think I'm a sinner, oh, well, Jamie, you're a... You're always going to sin because you're in this body. And then I do sin, and then it reinforces the fact that I'm a sinner, and then I spiral down in the devil's plan for my life. What is it? Condemnation instead of God's plan for my life, which is life and righteousness. We reinforce our thinking. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, 
to make you obey its passions. Now let's get one thing straight. There's nothing wrong with passions. It really isn't. God gave it to us. We've got five senses, right? We've got, uh, we've got eyesight, we, we, we can see, we, we can smell, we can taste, we can touch, and we can hear. Yeah, so we've got five senses. And that, you know, they, they all feel things, they experience things, and you know, those senses are tied with our emotions. And, and, you know, and like we can experience passion, we can experience pleasure. That's not a problem. That's not sinful. Our bodies are not inherently sinful. Our bodies are actually inherently good. But we determine that level of passion. We determine that level of pleasure with the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. We master our passions and don't let our passions control us. Remember, Rick Warren calls them runaway desires. There's nothing wrong with desire, but when you're willing to turn your back on God and, and disobey Christ and run off to, to try and let that desire or that passion fulfill you, that's when it becomes an idol. That's when it becomes a problem. Okay. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That means my body can be used for good. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, which is your flesh, your strength, but you are under grace, which is Jesus's empowering blood in you. This passage is saying that your body can be used for good or for evil. It's not going to automatically be used for evil because it's a body. So to say that I'm always going to sin because I'm human, that's a half-truth, which we know makes it a lie. Where do half-truths come from? We all know they come from the devil. Why does he use half-truths and not just outright lies? It's because a half-truth, it's difficult to spot the truth from the lie and it becomes that much more convincing. And, and that's why we get sucked into this thinking of, well, I'm always going to sin because I'm in a body. This whole chapter lays down that that is not true. So if you're thinking that you're always going to sin and that's in it, that that's inevitable, that that's just going to happen, and, and you're just waiting to die and be free because you're sick of sinning, then be encouraged with what God is speaking to you today that that's not the case. There is no condemnation anymore for you. And if you know that the gospel is alive in you and that you are set free, then that is the path that you will ultimately begin to live. And that's what will play out in your life. Let's keep going. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were called or committed. What does it mean to be obedient from the heart? It means that you're changed from the inside out. It means 
every part of you is in on this and it is fully convinced. You are fully convinced. You don't say in one breath that, yeah, Jesus has set me free and then turn around and in the very next breath say, oh, but I'm always going to sin because I'm human. No, that's a contradiction. You are obedient from the heart. You are fully convinced. You're going to say, Jesus has set me free. And then you're going to turn around and say to someone else, and Jesus has set me free. That's just the way it's going to be. You're going to be fully convinced. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. What's a slave? A slave is chained and shackled. Church, you are chained and shackled to righteousness. Come on. How encouraging is that? And just because, you know, you make a mistake or even if there's a habitual sin in your life or, or you keep making, you know, silly little sins or, or saying things you shouldn't or this, that, whatever it is, it doesn't change the fact. Your behavior does not change the fact that you are chained and shackled to righteousness. That nature isn't changing. Come on. I'm speaking in human terms <laughs> because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Hallelujah. What's repentance? It's saying no to sin and yes to Jesus. That's what it is. You know, through conviction and confession and change. It's a life application. It's not just words. Words are part of it. But it's saying no to sin and yes to Jesus. Do we need to do it as Christians? Do we need to maintain a, a heart of repentance as Christians? Oh yeah, every day. Is it always easy? No. It sucks sometimes, maybe quite often. But I'll tell you what, once, once you've made the decision to shift your thinking and your standing in grace, it can get easier. It might still be heartbreaking. You know, the reality of the situation might not change. But it's no longer your burden. You're standing in grace. So my last question. How do we maintain a heart of repentance? Or a penitent heart. Penitent is the right word. How do we maintain a, a penitent heart? Let's, let's finish off the chapter. <clears throat> Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. It was none of your business. You couldn't do anything about it. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? <clears throat> For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set, what? Free? There's that word again. From sin. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> How do we maintain a penitent heart? 
we keep things in perspective. We keep Jesus where he belongs, on the throne of your life. And if we're able to do that, then we end up keeping sin where it belongs, in the grave. We don't try and dig up that identity of sin and try and claim it for ourselves ever again. So we don't ever say anymore that I'm always going to sin because I'm human. That's absolutely not true. The only reason you're going to sin really is if you believe that. You're not going to sin because you're human, but you will sin if you believe that you will sin because you're human. We keep sin in the grave and we keep Jesus where he belongs. How, how do we keep perspective? How do we do that? Again, it comes down to intimate, close relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You give Jesus the time. You know, Deuteronomy 6, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You know, loving Jesus is the number one defense against sin. Do it every day. Practice it every day. Oh my goodness. God is so good. God is so good. If, okay, if you're hearing this and, and you're getting convicted, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to lead you through a, a prayer of, rep of repentance, actually, because there's, there's no magic words. You know, the, the sinner's prayer was only invented less than 300 years ago, but, but you know, there, there is a heart that is in it. You know, you recognize that you're born into sin and that... Um, that Jesus died to set you free from sin and that he rose again so that you could live with him, so that he could live inside you. Okay, so if you believe that this morning, then I want you to say it out loud right where you are. I want you to say, Jesus, I recognize, you know, that I was, I was born into sin and I've, I've lived a life of sin, but I don't want to do that anymore. I want to hand it all over to you and I want to I, I want to become a child of God right now and I accept your gift of salvation for my life and I'm going to live for you from this moment on. I, I just want you to say that, you know, say it in your own words, okay? Um, but if, if you're getting convicted right now, you know, that's, that's what you've got to do. God is doing his job, now it's time for us to do our job. And if there's, you know, for, for the rest of us, you know, if, um, if you're a Christian and, and you're getting convicted of something in your heart right now, you know, let's, let's all just pray right now, okay, and, and close off. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing work at the cross, for dying and rising again. You set us free from sin. And Lord, if there's any doubts in our mind that you set us completely free, we hand that to you, God. We hand every doubt to you. We're sorry for that. We're, we're sorry for not believing your word. We say, Speak to us right now. Thank you for encouraging us. Show us your truth. Convict us. And uh, Lord, we choose not to doubt your word any longer that we are made righteous and that we're free from sin. Lord, whatever we've done that you know, we keep doing because maybe we believe we're sinners, we hand that to you right now. You know, We're sorry that we've done that, but we're also sorry for the mindset behind it. Thank you for forgiving us. 
have your way in us and lead us in your righteousness. Help us to know that we are chained and shackled to you instead of sin. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've just given your life to Jesus as well, then you know something's just popped up in, in, in the chat or, or, or make a comment. Um, let us know that, you know, you, that you've done that. We'd love to contact you if, if you're on our page right now and you've just seen the little hand pop up. You know, I, I want you to click on you know, that you just raised your hand and that's going to take you through uh, to a link. And that's just going to help you get started in your faith. Okay, so um, bless all of you today. Have, have an amazing day and uh, thank you for listening. I, I, I hope God spoke to you and encouraged you. And, uh, and he really is doing an amazing work in your life. Be encouraged. God bless, church. Bye.
if you'd like to respond to that sermon, please get in touch by commenting on any of the platforms that you're watching this on or find us at LifeSource Church Griffith on our website and find our email. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or just like to someone to talk to. And it's good to see that restrictions are starting to lift and we'll still take a few months or many months to get back to normal, but I'd like to put it in perspective because back in Roman times, it would take 15 years before things would return to normal. And so that's it from us and have a great week.